Kia ora and welcome to the Creative Matters podcast, where we have inspiring conversations with New Zealand artists. I'm your host, Mandy Yakich. These conversations are intimate, uplifting and insightful. The guests on the show have absolutely enriched my life and I'm sure their stories will have the same effect on you. Thank you so much for joining me to listen to these amazing people speak about what drives them, the way they work and their personal takes on life. Morena, and welcome back to Creative Matters. This is the fourth episode of Season 3, which is generously supported by Creative Communities Scheme Auckland. This week I speak with Deborah Crow. Deborah is a visual artist working in Tamaki Makoro, Auckland. Her practice involves building 2D and 3D environments that explore architectural, spatial and environmental characteristics. The work often queries perceptions of space, place, humans' impact on the environment, systems of containing the body, and language frameworks. Deborah's practice acknowledges its origins in woven construction and a strong interest in drawing, particularly collage. So I trained as a weaver, and I, you know, it's a while since I've used my loom, but I still believe I'm a weaver, and I believe that weaving underpins everything I do like the interlacing and the bringing strands together is just how I think about things creatively. 2022 marks Crow's 40th year of exhibiting. Her practice has been shown in a variety of art and design contexts across and between disciplines. Exhibitions and projects have included textiles, works for the body, fashion design, object, drawing, digital print, photography, public art, sculpture, sound, and installation. It was such a pleasure to meet Deborah. She talks about her tertiary teaching career, her business Crow Creative Art Services, through which she delivers workshops for artists, mentoring, and art consulting, her love of connecting with people and community, and her stunning art practice and process. I'm sure you're going to find this episode really interesting. Morena, Deborah. Morena. Thank you very much for being here on the Creative Matters podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Nice to be here. And uh, welcome to Muriwai. It's beautiful. I love looking at that taro out there. Mm. Yes, I put you in the spot where you can actually see the garden. So <laughs> nice. That's good. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, Deborah, you know, we did meet, I think, very briefly through Tanya Blong at Studio One. That's right. Uh, and that was lovely to meet you then, and I've been following you since then and following your amazing work you're doing in your new studio in K Road. Cool. So I'm um, really looking forward to hearing your story and all about your practice. So can you take us all the way back and uh, tell us how all this amazing creativity started? I can. Um, so I was born in Dundee. You'll be able to tell that. Um, I have, well, actually, I don't have a Dundonian accent, but I was born in Dundee. In 1963, and I lived for the first 18 years of my life in a small town called Kirimuir, which had 6,000 population, and I think pretty much still has 6,000 population. 
And so I lived there in council flat with my sister and my parents. And then at 18, I left to go to art school. Uh, and then after art school, I came to Aotearoa. Oh, wow. And what brought you to New Zealand? Well, there was an opportunity to come just after I finished in my postgraduate study. And uh, I thought, oh, well, I, actually, the funny thing is I wanted to teach. I knew that I wanted to, to work in tertiary. And in Scotland, you kind of had to wait for someone to die to do that. There were only four art schools at that time. And I didn't want to move to England, which is crazy, actually, because my mother was English. But anyway, um, and so I um, got the opportunity to come for three years and then have stayed yeah, for a lot more than three years. Mm, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And what were you studying at um, at the Glasgow School of Art? So I studied in embroidered and woven textiles. And so when I chose to go to Glasgow, it was quite interesting. Actually, I was thinking about it as I was driving here. Um, as, as a, you know, 17-year-old country, you know, girl living in the country. Um, <clears throat> then I decided to go and look at each art school to see which one would be the best. So I'd jump on the train to Glasgow and Edinburgh and Aberdeen and Dundee. I could go on the bus and, ha- you know, have a look around the art schools. And Glasgow was really well known for its textile department. And I'd been making works that incorporated textiles. Style. Like my mum was re- uh, like a really textile, you know, uh, fabriholic, as I call them these days. That word wasn't around then, I don't think. And she had done lots of, you know, craft and was very inventive. And so I knew I wanted to go somewhere where I could do textile. And Glasgow just seemed to be the best fit. And it was great, actually. Although it was quite funny in that um, I was in the Department of Embroidery and Textiles, which doesn't exist, it merged with print. And then uh, and we were in the design faculty. And because it was the early 80s, we were kind of bullshit young women, probably, you know, feisty um, and quite politicized. And so we went to the dean and we said, because we're all making art objects, basically. We could, I could weave you a piece of fabric to cover your furniture, but we were all making more art-oriented or sculptural things. Mm. So we went and we complained to the dean and we said, we don't want to be in the design faculty, we want to be in the art faculty, and we don't want to be called embroidery because that's what grannies do. And it was so crazy. And of course, not, you know, nothing changed. And we just did our work anyway. And it, the commentary about it, or the context of it was you were, we were making art objects that were related to textile and constructed from textile. But mm. that was kind of, you know, it's funny when I think about that yeah. now. <laughs> and that's <laughs> political so right from the start. Good on you. Yeah. And were you actually thinking at that time, Deborah, that you were going to make a, a lifelong career in art and be an artist? Yes, I was. I, I wanted to be a lawyer or an artist. <laughs> very different yeah occupations. I know well yeah I mean I figured I, like I like arguing a wee bit and I thought that that would be quite good to be a lawyer um but uh then you know people I know who are lawyers said no 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 that's you wouldn't have been a good lawyer you're way too honest and um sorry lawyers for saying <laughs> that but um you know I was pretty focused on that I wanted to be uh, my like I said, when I was brought up, my sort of I learnt from my father probably politics and things about equality. I learnt from my mother empathy and how to be creative and how to be inventive. And my sister, my older sister, who's six years older than me, would both always been really good at art. She went to art school six years before me. She went to Edinburgh School of Art, not Glasgow. And um, yeah, it was just you know, it was just a natural thing. I used to go into the head at school. At my school it was I'm, I'm so old. They used to wear gowns and all the rest of it. At, like this is at the not at a private school. Just like the ordinary school really? and the headmaster said you know Deborah what are you going to do and I said I want to do art and he would always say do you mean arts you know go to university and do arts and I said no 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 I mean art <laughs> like I want to make art um so it was a like a bit of a there was an expectation if you are you know okay quite good academic stuff that you wouldn't do art mm. but that didn't happen 
Yeah, good on no. you. And we're so glad that this is the path that you've followed. Yeah, it's cool. It's yeah. been a good, it's a great path, actually. Yeah. And yeah. you've had such an incredibly amazing career and your practice is so interesting. Oh, thank so you. So where did you go from, from Glasgow School of Fine Art? What happened after that? So I came to Aotearoa and I knew I wanted to do lecturing, as I said, and then I worked part-time in a clothes shop and did some part-time lecturing at Whitecliffe College of Art, I think it was maybe called Whitecliffe College of Art then, um, and just gradually then increased more teaching and then I got a commission, which meant that I could, uh, through Masterworks actually, long, long time ago, maybe in the first year that I got here, and then which meant that I didn't have to do so much of the retail. And then from there, it's probably just developed as... I think people call it a portfolio career, um, but also, you know, like doing little bits, little little bits of different things. Mm. And having said that, though, I did have 28 years when I was engaged in tertiary education. Um, most of the time, full time, sometimes at half time or sometimes 0.7 or sometimes take six months sabbatical or, or that kind of thing. So I've always had a bit of a balance between making and working with other people quite deliberately, really, because I think if I just made my work all the time, I just get way too obsessed with tiny, tiny little things. And the joy about working with other people is that you learn lots. And it's nice to be... Um, to be of service, which sounds a little bit odd. I don't mean it in a, you know, like being a servant kind of thing. I just mean it's nice to share things. Mm. And I think I've got this kind of service gene thing that, you know, teachers and nurses and all sorts of people like us have. And it's fun and exciting and stimulating being able to work with, and particularly when I was working at tertiary, to work with young creative brains. It, it's fab. Mm. And so so that's that was kind of always been quite a parallel sort of um but of the way in which I practice. Mm, because well, it's so complementary, isn't it? Yeah. It's a and great I, balance. Yeah, and I think that, and the opportunities come, you know, like you get research funding and all that, all those kind of things come when you work in tertiary. But I think the other thing is going back to the department that I studied in. So I trained as a weaver, and I, you know, it's, it's a while since I've used my loom, but I still believe I'm a weaver. And I believe that weaving underpins everything that I do. Like even when I'm facilitating an artist group, then... I think of it as weaving threads together. And mm. if I'm doing, you know, I did a really large um, kind of architectural installation at what's now T2 it was the Fisher Gallery then. And it was, you know, like kind of the interior of a, a building. And when I was using the power drill, you know, to put the screws in, I still think of it as stitching. <laughs> like it's just mm. a kind of a natural um, way of thinking about things, like the interlacing and the bringing strands together is just, how I think about things creatively. So yeah. I kind of, kind of can't help but see the interlacements or even when you and I were talking together and saying, you know, about spaces and, you know, spaces between threads and how things fit together or how, you know, how they dovetail. Dovetail is another favorite joint of mine apart from um, weaving. That whole idea of, um, and I mean, I think that thing with weaving is that when you think about it and you break it down, there's all of these tiny elements and what the weaver does is she or he brings them together or they bring you know brings mm. it together and it becomes a form and when I was learning weaving I very quickly realized that I wanted to make that two-dimensional form three-dimensional so I was in my second year at art school I started to use wire in my weaving and so I became quite sculptural in the you know hence why we went to the dean and said we want to be called art yeah, uh, and which not, is fair enough and not too. Design, yeah. yeah and in those days it might have been sort of 
thought of as craft, which is the lesser the lesser part of art in those days. Oh, yes. I well, guess. So a, that's I've, a whole I've other presented topic. conference papers about that conversation. Mm, yeah. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us about the kind of work, woven works that you were making at the beginning? Mm, they were, uh, some of them were quite um, like small sculpture. So I'd make forms and I would do, I mean, I was lucky enough at the art school that I went to that we did a lot of drawing. And so, so I went there for five years because I did my undergrad and my postgrad. And every week on a Thursday, I can remember on a Thursday at 4.30, we'd go over to the Macintosh building and we'd do life drawing. So, you know, there was so much of... I suppose traditional, you could call it, but um, we got a really good grounding in technique, I suppose. Mm. And I think that that served me really well. And so I would often make woven forms. I'd weave them on the loom and I'd make them and they would relate to perhaps a life drawing that I'd done. And so I was really interested and, and continued to be interested. And basically, I've just had one idea my whole career, which I think is a good thing, actually. I think lots of artists have, you have one idea and you just do it different ways. Mm. So... I'm interested in how we relate to space. And so often I'd be looking at things like how the body uh, behaved in space or how we experience space. I always tell a funny story about, um, well, this goes back, I'm kind of going back and forth here like a weaver does, um, (laughs) to my childhood when my sister and I, we shared a bedroom, right? So we're in the council flat, shared the bedroom, and Leslie used to shut me in the cupboard and she used to think it was you know, like, like like an older sister would like, hee, 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 I'm going to put you in the cupboard. Um, but I used to like it. And so I was here <laughs> in the cupboard. And then the funny thing about that, even I realized years later, is it was the wardrobe. So no wonder I was like, oh, having a joyous time with all the fabrics hanging above me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I think so I think that that's that actually on that whole sense of I like enclosed spaces. So I was making woven forms that were quite organic looking, but had the rigidity of the warp and weft. So they're, you know, like made on a loom as opposed to mm. harakeke or raranga uh, weaving. And so I was ma- so kind of, I was disrupting basically. And that's the thing, that's what I do. I think I make something that's, and I still do that now. I make something that's kind of like the right way to do it. And then I muck it up. I could use another word there. Um, a little bit, uh, you know, twist it or distort it. And for me, that gives something that has, it kind of changes the look of it. And it also makes something exist in space in a slightly different way. Mm. So I was making small sculptures, but I was also making some really large folded paper and cloth works that occupied architectural space because I tended to work at small scale and really big scale. So for my postgrad show, no, for my degree show, I had to hire um, like a school or church hall, can't remember where it was, um, because I needed a space that was so big to be able to fold up these big pieces of paper and then suspend them from the ceiling. And so, so, and again, that was about making a kind of architectural reference in an interior so you could stand underneath it and get the sensation of something above you. So that whole idea of containing the body and how the body or how humans relate to space has just consistently run through mm. whatever I I'm you know probably a frustrated architect yeah I <laughs> you mean, know, like lots of artists are yeah. uh, but you know that whole idea of how 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 we perceive space and often I'd make work later on in my career make work that was playing with people's perception of what's real space and what's implied so I'd made installations with mirrors so you know it was kind of playing with what's real and what's not and what's a solid framework and what's something that's 
movable um i mean the thing with weaving is that it's that it's always kind of movable you know it's mm. it's it's you know it's quite elastic in a sense and so that it can move and it can you know sway with the body and all of that kind of mm. lovely stuff yeah that's amazing and that must have been quite a little bit radical in the 80s that kind of work it, well it wasn't so much radical where i was studying because it was the, the you know that long history of the art school having had having done that but probably when I first came to Aotearoa uh, I was well this is a weird word to use but I was maybe kind of seen as a wee bit exotic or uh, unusual let's say or yeah because there weren't people who had textile degrees or postgrad qualifications in textile and so I think you know it was like oh wow you're doing that and and so it was and so for me, what that meant was I had to work out where to contextualize my practice here. Mm. And when I was thinking of coming here, when I was finishing my postgrad, my lecturers, oh God, they were so funny. They were like, New Zealand, what do you want to go to New Zealand for? That cultural backwater. I mean, this was 1986. And because they had no idea, you know, they, they you know, hadn't been Lord of the Rings. And, and people in Britain were not as au fait with what was happening in Aotearoa. Uh, anyway, so they were like, you know, why do you want to go there? You've just done this five-year study. Why do you want to go there? I was like, oh, well, I just want to see what it's like, you know, and have a little bit of an adventure. And, and you know, I know I want to teach. And I don't want to move to England, which must have seemed like really dumb to them. But um, so it, it meant that I needed to... Um, I mean, the craft courses and the polytechnics were starting up then, and then of course we've seen the demise of them. Yeah, but um, yeah, I was, and because I was working with materials that are not traditional, then sometimes I would get invited to go and talk, like maybe at the Weavers and Spinners Guild or something like that, and you know, they would say, "Oh, you're weaving with wire and nylon. Why on earth are you doing? You know, like why are you not using wool and and that kind of thing?" But I suppose it was because I was bridging, and that's probably something that I quite like to do a lot is never really stay in one place and bridge between disciplines, between sculpture and textile. So the forms are sculptural, but they happen to be made of a woven construction mm. and bridge between something that's working as in an architectural space and then something that's tiny, you know, like that mm. kind of... So yeah. that I quite like... It's a bit... And I think part of it is from having come here. In fact, a long time ago, um, a jeweler, contemporary jeweler came over, Cynthia Cousins, from England, and she said to me, do you think that your practice has changed having come to New Zealand? Do you think it would have stayed the same if you'd stayed in Scotland? And I replied to her that I thought, no, because what happened here was I was able to move between the disciplines, I believe, much more freely than would have happened if I'd stayed in Scotland. Really? And so that's cool for someone like me because it means that I get to go and try this and learn mm. about this on an exhibit and, you know, like exhibit in you know, places that were perhaps craft related or places that were design related and places that were art related mm. and cross over those different things. The and why do you think, why, sorry, excuse me to interrupt. No, go ahead. Why do you think um, New Zealand was more open about that sort of movement in between? Because I think there was less 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 people um, and also um, less less fixed um, groups, I suppose. Um, there are fixed communities of practitioners, but um, in a way there was, there was, it just seemed a wee bit freer. Mm. And because I was, my work was a bit unusual when I first came, I had to work at, well, shall I fit in with that or shall I fit in with that? And then, then I started to really enjoy this existing between disciplines, uh, you know, like make printed works that look like paintings and and kind of you know like use mimicry in quite a bit of my work 
But the downside of that is that sometimes people didn't know how to contextualize the practice. Mm. And, you know, they were like, oh, what are you doing now? You know, like I've, you know, people have written articles and they've called me a jeweler, a photographer, a printmaker. You know, I've been called much worse things than all of those <laughs> things. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, you know, they've called me all sorts of different yeah. labels, if you like. In well, fact, I've made work you do about so many different things. Yeah. I, I, but I've made work about that whole notion of nomenclature, what things are called. Because, and so that's why I always go back to when people say to me, oh, you're making a sound work now. I was like, yeah, but I'm just weaving with sound. You know, it's still mm. weaving. It's still where my feet are, are still in some kind of woven or constructed form. Yeah. And, th- and it's that kind of underpinning. Mm. It's th- that's the kind of conceptual underpinning. So, and it just so happens that it might be with bits of metal or it might be with paper or it might be with thread or it might be with when I make my images on my computer. I, you know, I work loads of the time in Photoshop and I think of it as weaving. Mm. It's quite like drawing and painting too. Yeah. But I think of it as interlacing the images. It, it, you mm. know, it's just how it occurs. And that's the sort of, that's the thread, if you pardon the pun. So I had a client came to the studio on Saturday with interesting buying a work. And so, and she was talking about how she, she'd seen my work in a hotel somewhere um, down country. And she was talking about, oh, I like how you use these images together, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, I started off as a weaver and I had in my studio a very small work that I used to make very quite tight um, glass and hand-dyed nylon constructed works that were in a series of work called set. Which, and set in weaving terms is the space between threads. So I was making work, exhibiting it at a dealer gallery at Vavasor Gorkin Gallery, exhibiting it at a gallery that showed mostly, paint, well, only painting and sculpture. And so contextualizing that work in a different place but craftily excuse that pun um using thread and the construct a sort of a semi-woven construction to talk about formalist things and and painting so so i showed the client uh this work and i and she said oh yes i can see how those things relate but it was i showed it was a work from 2002 so mm-hmm. i just it's a reason work that you know like sometimes you keep ones that are special to you and so and she said oh yes i can see exactly how that relates mm. but she might not have thought that when she, before she walked in the door because probably the work that i make now it's always been quite complex um and it's always been related to frameworks there's often a reference to some kind of containing of the body or some kind of architectural form and then alongside those elements more recently there's probably more reference to the natural world and flora um, but now just as I think about it just ping in my head I'm thinking well th- those were some of the forms like I was looking at shells when I was making my postgrad work really, really early on so I do I mean I'm, I surprised myself when I first started to work with flora quite as much because I always thought that was a bit too pretty uh, I was much more interested in architecture but as I got to be more of an observer of the built world I suppose because I live in the city I love living in the city and I look at how we respond to city environments mm. then the merging of you know having more green in the city and, and the merging of nature in the built environment has become quite an important mm. aspect in my practice yeah and it's a beautiful it's such it's such a beautiful addition to the city. You oh, know, for sure. The work yeah. that you've done is just glorious oh, in that thank way. You. Yeah. And were you actually um, thinking about colour 
at the beginning of your practice that much? Colour. Well, I always joke with weavers, because it's an in-joke, that weavers are the best colourists. They're much better than painters. Um, uh, because when you're weaving, and say you've got 100 threads or 300 threads over your warp, if you make every third or whatever red, then that makes a big impact on the cloth. So it's about tiny details, which is probably also why I'm quite a detail freak. And so I th- always think that although the weavings I was making in my early days, oh no, they did actually, I hand dyed the um, the silks that I was u- using. And so I was working with quite vibrant colors, but as they wove together, they become a little bit less vibrant, which was, you know, what happens when you're color mixing. Um, but now the, my practice has become probably a bit more, when I was making works that were about how badly we're treating the planet, I was working with quite toxic colors deliberately. So I was trying to make kind of um, hypothetical spaces. Like I, I invent in my large digital prints, I invent hypothetical spaces, which are collaged from a massive library of photographs that I've shot all over the world. And more recently, because I haven't been traveling in Aotearoa. And so all of these get kind of mashed together or woven into to create these hypothetical, semi-real, a series, one of the series was called Fictional Realities, spaces that are, that, I want the viewer to feel like they can enter into. And so constructing something that's two-dimensional but has a sense of space and a sense of three dimensions. Mm. And looking at um, where nature and the built environment went collide, looking at leaving... I've done some prints where I've buried images of rubbish uh, in, in underneath quite beautiful imagery because basically I think that's what we're doing. Well, maybe not so much now, but that was maybe five years ago, is that we talk about, you know, caring about the planet, but we, when people say, I'll just throw that out, there's no out, right? Out does not exist. Out is landfill. And so utilizing um, the notion of bringing opposites together and doing that through opposites of color and clashing color and using that kind of reference to toxicity, but at the same time, it's kind of a wee bit of trickery, really, kind of trying pulling the viewer in by making something that looks actually quite attractive. Mm. And then underneath it, there's this, I, I suppose I quite like a little bit of trickery or I quite like a little bit of playing with the viewer or the potential of playing with the viewer. The potential to ask, you know, pose some questions, not necessarily have the answers to it, but say, you know, like here's a beautiful, I you know, used to visit lots and lots of botanical gardens um, when I was traveling. And funnily enough, um, another funny little story, seem to be on a story mode today, is um, when I was at art school in Glasgow, I used to go to the botanical gardens and they've got an amazing glass house called, called Kibble Palace. And I used to go drawing there all the time. I used to go drawing there and I used to go drawing underneath the fourth railway bridge. So both big metal structures mm. that I liked hanging around, you know, hanging around underneath, you know, not unlike the cupboard probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and just looking up and drawing. And then the funny thing is I realized, and I made an artwork about it actually, um, 25 years later, that the garden, the bit of the glass house that I was drawing was the Australasian part. And I, you know, mm. I, I only realized that when I went back to visit. I was like, ah, those are the plants I used to draw. And then it's getting, yeah. you know, kind of full circle. Yeah, isn't um, it interesting? Which, yeah, which is quite cool. And it might have yeah. been informing you sort of subconsciously. Well, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I love the way, you know, in some of your digital works um, that you have – it's sort of an element of surprise in a way, isn't there? So the more the viewer looks into it, 
the more yeah. they discover. Yeah. And sometimes there's that lovely sort of contrasting ideas, like the rubbish with the with yeah. the beauty. Yeah. yeah. I, well, because I mean, I think you know, life's made up of contrast, and and I, also I really like contradiction. Um, I'm, there was an essay that um, Rhoda Fowler wrote about a work that I had um, an installation work, my very first installation work and she called it complementary contradictions because I was making objects that looked quite light but I wanted them, to, then I drew them on the wall that, and they looked quite heavy so there was this kind of weird conversation between illusion and I suppose that illusion goes back and relates to my interest in what's what's real and what's implied space you know what's the space that you imagine and what's the space that you occupy or you might you know, you might occupy imaginary space I do all the time actually when yeah. I, especially when I'm building these really weird kind of um constructions mm. in my head while and I'm almost on the computer like weird, weird worlds you're creating yeah, yeah, yeah. worlds they're quite otherworldly and part of that is i don't know it's a fascination of observing the world around us i suppose mm. but i like to combine what i see in different contexts and put it together and then and see how they have that conversation so one of my favorite places to go and photograph is tongariro national park because one of the things i love about that is i feel really small and there's something quite nice about feeling quite insignificant. You know, like I can't think, you know, like we're, you know, humans, I don't know, we've got this kind of idea that we're really important. Okay, so because when we talk to each other, maybe we are, but at the same time, it's going to big, big, vast spaces like that and maybe places that are quite, well, I was going to say unspoiled, but I mean, that's not necessarily unspoiled there, but just going out and seeing the vastness mm. of what, what else exists apart from us humans doing our and stuff. And the rawness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And also, I think, you know, like uh, in Tongariro National Park, you know, you go up in ski lift and, and it's so, it, it, fe it feels to me like I'm almost in another planet. Or, you know, like this, the, the, the landscape is, I find it quite intoxicating and, mm. and really enjoy that sense of the bigness of it and the vastness of it. Mm. A bit like in architecture when, you know, how cathedrals were built in such a way so that they, felt you know like so they felt like you were a little person there because it was about you know the the power or about the the space being commanding i suppose mm. and you can really see the way you use space and your work um and some of your work is site specific isn't it mm -hmm. and other works are created and then you find a space so can we start talking about some of your more current works sure um which are all incredible. I've loved learning <laughs> more you. about your practice. <laughs> so can we start with the 2021 work Outlook, which is a digital collage animation? Ah, so Outlook is a series that I've been doing since 2016. And it's a, an ongoing series that I started off as a kind of fun drawing project. And I walk around the city a lot. I have, I had my studio then in Ponsby Road. I live in Central City. So I, so I was taking photographs um, and just taking kind of snapshots and thinking about how much the area was changing. And so it was a response to urban development, I suppose. And it's a series of works that are responsive to my immediate environment. And so it's about observing how the, the city centre is changing. And that's also part of, you know, one of my um, favourite things is about having more green in the city. And so these are works that often... I would. I started doing them as a kind of drawing project at the end of the day. Maybe I'd been doing you know, other work and then just have a wee play at the end of the day with some photos that I'd taken. And then I've not been able to stop because 
I'm always observing things. There's always things to photograph and there's always ways to combine different views that relate to what's happening in your immediate environment. Mm. So so that's a kind of ongoing thing. And it started off as uh, photographs that then I would print and make limited edition prints from. And then I decided because of my caring about not making more stuff that I would make them as digital images and then they could be printed on demand and then it moved into making animations from the images so it's you know I had I mean I think it's an important aspect for artists to think about you know we create all this stuff and then where does this stuff go having talked about you know there's no out when you throw things out and so I was developing works where the output became digital rather than <clears throat> excuse me on you know, on paper, mm. so that I felt like I could make more of them, I suppose, uh, without having to print them and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And that aspect of yeah. also being able to, to kind of mess with them and change yeah. them and, and distort yeah. them. Yeah, so they became, so part, part of the Outlook series now has little animations in it. So, so from Outlook, then they were, first of all, photographs, then there were works on paper, and then they became digital works that people could and there's still digital works in fact I'm selling one this week that's a that will become a print and then I started to work with moving the images around which again is that whole thing of like moving things along trying things and I think I could make this move now and then projecting them and so sort of directly from that process there are a couple of works that uh, that emerged and one was called Urban Mesh which was a whole series of um, images that were printed onto vinyl and then installed on hoardings so it was a it was a, a commissioned work where link alliance put out to artists we'd like some works for the hoardings that are going to go up while the crl is being built um and could you put in a submission so i put in one that was called urban mesh which was about observing the area around where they were building and trying to i mean with the hoardings th- their mission i guess is to try to take away some of the unpleasantness that comes from all of that urban development. And so I made a work where, and it was during lockdown actually, I shot it, and I'd had a surgery on my foot too, so I was zooming around with one of those funny uh, trolley things with on my knee, um, zooming around the city taking photographs. And so I've composed a work which is 50 metres long and 2.4 metres high for the hoardings that were all of these collaged um, snippets really of everything around that area. So there's lots and lots of images from Albert Park of the Magnolias, like I love Magnolias. And there was lots of images from the little weeds because I'm a real lover of weeds as well. I like, like, like you've got your nasturtiums up on the wall. Um, and because you can eat every bit of a nasturtium. Yes. You know? yes, we'll talk about that more with the other work. And... Um, and so it was about also drawing attention to the details. You know, quite often you're zooming around the city and you don't really pay attention. So I took images of some of the heritage aspects, you know, like St. Matthew's in the city, and there was a beautiful um, frieze, on, a kind of um, architectural mosaic on top of one of the buildings, which had, uh, I think it was maybe 1965 was done in. And so I wove all of those things together. So it was like looking at literally the mesh of the city, what surrounded there, but trying also to have something that uh, wasn't like looking at diggers. Although, mm. you know, some people are like, looking at diggers is quite good. Yeah, my and, grandson, yeah. he loves diggers. Yeah. One of the interesting things with it was because w- it was we're during lockdown and I, and I deliberately, when I proposed it, I wanted to shoot new images. I could, I could have used stuff, stuff from my library, but I really wanted to shoot images within that local area so that the works are specific to that mm. local area. And there was nobody, work, it was, the work is currently outside the uh, Auckland Council building, 135 Albert Street. So, But there was nobody in the council 
also because everyone's working from home, apart from the two women at the front desk. And I used to go in and say to them, could I please go to the, you know, I could use your toilet because I was zooming around with my funny, uh, like, scooter thing. And um, and I said to them, what, what kind of things do you think you'd like to look out, you know, when you're looking out the door? Because it was right in front of their place. And they were saying, oh, I think we might like a little bit of sea or something that's like nice and peaceful and all this kind of thing. So I wove, there was no sea in it, um, but I wove all of these different aspects of my little observations of the city. So kind of um, championing, in, championing the weeds, you know, because I am like, because mm. that's that when nature wins, which is like another work. Yeah. Um, that whole thing of um, that really, again, that thing of we as humans, we're not probably here for that long. And in the end, nature does win. There's a, an amazing book um, called The World Without Us by Alan Weisman. And it's all about if it's, well, it's a bit, sounds a bit gloomy. It's about a post-human um, world. So it's if humans weren't here, then what would happen? And what would happen in, say, for instance, the streets of New York is the snow would um, freeze the pavements, the pavements would crack, the plants would grow through. And you, and you look at places like Chernobyl and, you know, and, mm. and nature does win. Mm. Uh, nature comes through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's such an interesting idea. <laughs> and with this one, um, I mean, 50 metres long, that's incredible. So how did you actually make that happen? I mean, how, how did you get from the computer to oh, cool. the vinyl? Yeah, well, so um, so I would shoot all the images and probably there were about, I don't know, 200 images in it. Then I composed, you know, wove them all together on the computer in different panels and then worked with a printing company. Uh, you know, I set up the files so that they, you know, so it flowed, so that the kind of the, the it, was, it looked a bit like a ribbon, basically. You mm. know, it was kind of long and thin, um, and just worked with them. And I've done that quite often. I've quite often worked with companies. I used to print onto stainless steel for um in works that were inside works, and I quite like using processes that are more naturally related to industry than they are to art. Uh, because people that like they normally love you doing it, and as long as you know, I say to them, "Look, I'm going to we probably be a wee bit fussy, um, and I don't mind if it takes a little bit longer, la la la, because it's for an art project um, rather than signage that's on the top of a building type mm. thing." Um, and it was all coordinated through um, the commissioners, you know, Link Alliances, the commissioners anyway. And it was a great project, and mm. it, you know, it's, it's fun. Um, and one of the things probably that that does, and also the other work we talked about before on the steps of Freiburg Square, and I suppose that like making those works in the last two or three years has allowed me to have work that's in spaces where people who might not usually go to galleries see it. So yeah. one of the most rewarding things when I was down photographing um, Urban Mesh outside the council building is, you know, the workers in their fluoro vests were going by and they're looking at it and then talking to each other. And for me, that's brilliant because I, I'm a little... No, I don't think I'm disillusioned with get the gallery structures, but there are various hierarchies exist in that. And it felt really good I don't know if it was related to because we'd been in lockdowns and COVID and, and the white cube kind of seemed a bit irrelevant to me at mm. that time. And so being able to get some commissions that were about making works in public that naturally, even though they had this underlying message about let's not muck up the planet anymore, but generally to look at first up, they're bright and they're cheerful. Mm. Um, you know, I hit them with the real thing later once you've drawn them in um, is you know, it was fulfilling and it felt a little bit less, well, elitist, I suppose. Yeah. Um, than and, and more accessible. Yeah, yeah. And that, and I think that as I get, 
more mature in my practice or I just get older, then I'm less um, I'm less inclined to to not always want to encourage people to have art be accessible. You know, I think that um, I do understand why that you know, and having worked in the academic world for a long time. Of course, you have there have to be areas in the art world where we are really probing, and it's quite theoretical. But it is a visual practice, and I think that in order to make things uh, that in culture can make such a difference, then there's got to be some discussion about it. And you think about countries where arts talked about right vary from very very young, maybe more than, and maybe the thing that's talked about from very young here could be sport mm. um you know like there's you know we've we've got to try to get our young people and we were talking about earlier really interested in what it, and thinking about being creative and thinking about you know not always needing to go for the sciences or this or that mm. is that our creative industries are are vital to the well-being of mm, people absolutely and just sort of valuing creativity and and what that can bring to people's lives absolutely yeah you know it's i mean we're all on a mission i think there's a lot of us on a mission to make that happen for sure yeah which is exciting um and so how did you feel about that particular project and that it wasn't going to be a permanent artwork i mean i presume it was taken away once the um, well it's still it's still there actually um but yes it, it was it was and so I, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because I'm like, oh, I don't know because it's using materials. But then what they were going to do is they were going to reposition the hoard, hoarding somewhere else, which felt okay with me. Mm, and then I recently idea. did a, a big work. It was 58 meters, I think, for Basque Park, same kind of project, but again, shot the images within the, the local area. And the work there, the construction work there, took less time than they thought. They were ahead of schedule. And so... You know, the, the coordinator there, the, the project manager, they called me up and said, oh, Deborah, we're going to have to take your work down. It's like, oh, really? But good on them. They're now working with um, a new site so that it can get moved to another place. And that, you know, like that's that's what how we need to think about it. Mm. So it was site-specific for that project. And then they did the construction work quickly, well, quicker than they thought. And so now it's going to have another uh, another site um, closer closer to the railway lines and it'll have some more life. Mm, which is yeah. so good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And then I wonder what would happen once it's actually finished its life. Well, that's one of the things, because we were talking before about, like, you know, kind of having um, contractual things uh, sorted. And so I've talked with them about, so when it gets to a stage where it's too faded, then we need to put something into it that it could be renewed. Or, I mean, one thing that could happen is it could be chopped up into little bits and they could go to a kindergarten and mm. people could use them, on, you know, like make collages on top of them or things yes. like that. So, and I do think that's quite important. Well, not quite, it is important to be thinking about the longevity of mm, your artwork and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea. And there's so many, there's so much potential for that kind mm, of thing. Mm. And I, it would be great, wouldn't it, when um, people actually, you know, ask for submissions or commission, you know, uh, commissioning an artist. Yeah, that, that should be part of the contract. Like, what are you going to do with it when it's finished? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that should be part of the conversation. Mm. I think. Yeah, I think it needs to be. And I think it's sta- things like that are starting to happen. But often for those kind of projects, I mean, I, I mean, I'd have to say that Link Alliance were great to work with in that in that regard, um, because they got that you know there's got there's an important environmental issue in it, yeah. mm, which is so good. So, how did Urban Reflections that project differ to Urban Mesh? So that was a video project, 
And that was a project that was site-specific in the sidewalk gallery at Studio One Toy Two, which is next door to where my old studio was. I was in the same place for 15 years. And that was another project where I shot images within maybe yeah one maybe even 500 meters actually it's quite tight mm. um because that was that's a piece of um pavement that you know a sidewalk gallery so it was projected outside so you viewed it from the street uh that i walked every day and sometimes two or three times a day because i'd go and you know walk my dog in the park and come back or whatever and um i wanted that uh, that was a lot of reflecting on what was around that particular area so i'd take photographs from the garden there and then merge them in with a reference to the to the building across the street that has reflective um, glass in it and make it, it was sort of a fantasy. My, I wouldn't have maybe necessarily re- used that word about it, but it had this sort of fantastical kind of um, going to nasturtiums, my favorite flower because every part is edible um, and they look cool as yes, well. They're so beautiful. Oh, and the leaves. Great. Oh, yeah. The, the leaves. The leaves. Are so and they make great pesto, those leaves. Anyway, and so I'm all like the whole thing of weeds. Um, I'm always an observer of little things that are kind of like coming through the cracks and all that. And moon distortions can be a mm. wee bit of a problem, but um, I don't ever really see them too much of a problem. And so I was taking all of these little kind of snippets and celebrating those things. Um, and I wish I could remember the word, but I can't. But my sister, she lives in Germany and she told me there's a word in German. The word for weed is something like when you translate it into English, it's like non-flower. It's like it's like really derogatory. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and it's like, well, who get like, and that, that goes back to that whole thing of nomenclature, what things are called. Yeah. So who, who, you know, who's allowed to call that, that you non-flower? That seems, How sad. <laughs> I know, I must learn the German words so I can tell <laughs> the story more fully, but yeah, so so that whole work was it was eleven minutes long, and it was merging um, buildings, and it kind of looked a little bit like the uh, the plants were taking over. So again, a bit like you know, if we didn't interfere so much, what would happen? Mm. And how how was the actual? Um, work projected was it like a projector on the other side so of the it was street? yeah so, no it was a rear projection so the projector was inside oh. and it was rear projection so you just walked past the window and there were these you know look it kind of was just right there up in mm, your face beautiful. it was good fun i love doing that work and, and i'm making more moving images because it seems to really um facilitate that whole idea of weaving things weaving is together and moving a bit like when we we're talking earlier about fabric and weaving how when you drape something and it's the movement and the curve of it and how it catches the light. I think that's been my attraction to to working in animation. But, you know, I didn't know how to do it to start with. So I had to, like all the time I'm having to teach myself mm. how to do stuff. So and, you're, and just, I, you're teaching I, yourself. Yeah. You're not, you're yeah, not collaborating I, with the filmmaker. Or... No, 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 no. And Amazing. I mean, I, and I do it quite... Um, well, when I learned Photoshop, I learned Photoshop basically because I got a commission for a large work in Papatoy Toy and I spent all the summer photographing then wanted to merge the works together. That was a, a work called Heritage Hunter. And I just taught myself and then I, and I use it, I always use Photoshop in a way that not so much a technical way, but more like a painter or a drawer would do it, I think. I, you know, put things on top, rub it out, add tone, do all that kind of thing. Mm. So I'm working with advancing, receding, 
I work on, you know, a big computer stand up desk. I walk back from it just like somebody walks back from an easel. Yeah. And so I think about it as, you know, how, how that's working. But yeah, and then just, you know, I mean, I just, you know, you play around with things. And I mean, the thing is, you know, you know the worst you can do is muck it up and it doesn't work. But I have had my moments, you know, kind of when tech, technology has flummoxed me. Mm-hmm. But then there's always a way to get around it or you ask a friend or that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And I imagine with that kind of work, sometimes you'd, Something would happen accidentally, and you'd be like, "Oh, that's yeah, kind of that's interesting. right." All the happy accidents that happen, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. That quite often, I mean, quite often, I'll begin with an image or a series of images and think about how the movement might occur, and then once I'm doing it, it's like, "Oh, I shifted that over there too far." Oh no, actually, that what you know, like just as you do in anything, mm-hmm. like like making space for the accidents or the happy accidents to happen yeah um is important absolutely mm. and when you actually create these sort of large scale works are you also thinking of creating you know the possibility for prints of small parts of those projects or that kind of thing which you can actually sell i am and in fact this the project that i did last year 2021 um which was a commission again in the city center on the freiburg steps it was called nature wins exclamation mark again same kind you know singing from the same song sheet and i sent in a proposal for that and it was images of nasturtiums and manuka and these are plants that the bees like so it was again that whole idea about having more green in the city, like making something that was green and floral, I guess, in the city, but also thinking about how underneath all of that, then we can facilitate, you know, the bees back into the city and how how it's important for those things. And so I installed that um, during the second lockdown. Auckland had that really long lockdown. During the second lockdown, that was installed. Well, I didn't install it. The Blink Boys installed it. And then it was amazing, actually, because people were in, you know, used to being in and then suddenly there was amazing response to it people were like oh it's so good for our well-being I mean, like you know like i was overwhelmed by the response to it which was lovely you know mm. was it's really nice to get that feedback from people who live because there's forty thousand people live in the central city I, I don't believe we should call it the cbd anymore because it's not that it's no. it's re- there's you know forty thousand residents and so i would see families um you know mom and dad with young kids having their dinner you know i went to photograph it one day at, i don't know by six at night and they were having the dinner, so using it as a picnic spot and that kind of thing mm. and yeah there's the response was great and so i devised from that um, a little uh, project called Nature Wins Yay. That's, that's <laughs> like, just like one added word, three letters. And it was a small snippet of the work and it became a very small print, 250 millimeters by 250. And I decided I wanted to raise some funds for the city centre. And so I did some research on what charities were working there. And there's a charity called Sunday Blessings, which um, feeds the unhoused community every Sunday at Ellen Melville Centre, which is just across from the Mm. Freiburg Steps. And so I talked with this amazing woman there, Daniel Legale, and um, I said, look, I'd like to use, like what I do is I make pictures, right? Uh, But I'd like to be able to use that as a way to, contribute to what you do because they, they also take waste food from restaurants and cafes but during lockdown there wasn't as much of it because the cafes weren't operational so they were having to buy food and so or, or get it from other places and so I launched this series of limited edition prints where 50% of the they were really reasonably priced $165 like not very much at all but 50% of it I gave directly to Sunday Blessings and so over like uh raised maybe about three and a half grand mm, doing that that's brilliant it was good yeah I mean and it felt good and it, it just felt like 
there was it was a really cool spin-off from yeah. something that was a temporary work and was about this notion of nature wins in the end and about biodiversity, but also seemed to bring lots of joy to people, which, mm. you know, that, that was quite good. Yeah, um, absolutely. It has that kind of feel-good aspect to it. And yeah, it's, and it worked. And I was, yeah. I was really pleased to have been able to do that. And there's that nice synergy of, you know, being in this, sharing the same space with mm. the, um, the people who were, yeah. you know, for, with that charity. Because um, that's on the other side of the square. Yeah, 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 for for sure. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't open the Ellen Melville Centre for some of it, so they were having to do the food outside. And and I mean, I look, I because I live Central City, then I see a lot of the unhoused community. And you know, I, my new studio is right beside Merge Cafe, which is for the unhoused community too. And so, it, you, you know, it's it's about talking to the community and working together. Mm. I think that's, that that mm. sounds a little bit, um, you know. Uh, pie in the sky but i think that's what oh, you have to do true. Yeah, yeah totally and the freiburg steps are so beautiful because they they're steps on the side of a of a square basically for people who haven't seen them and they are quite curved aren't they they're curving steps and you have created your images on the sort of up what do you call it the uh up the, yeah. of the step. Yeah, not the bit you put your foot on. Yeah. <laughs> the vertical, yeah. yeah, the elevation. I guess if you're looking at it from the side, it would be called the elevation. Yeah, so yeah. that's quite yeah. interesting in itself yeah. and you're back from it because yeah. it's visually quite interesting with a step in between, mm. but then it kind mm. of merges. It, yeah, it, it pulls together. And, I mean, they have, like, again, they, there's another work on there just now uh, and so because they normally, you know, they commission various artists to work on there. And what I tried to do is I tried to make it, it as if the nasturtiums and the manuka were growing up and then there was a bit of sky at the top so that um, you utilising the three-dimensionality of the form in order to make the space kind of come a bit more alive as a three-dimensional you know artwork almost and mm. it was brilliant actually I learned lots from doing it because having made the really large works that were on flat surfaces um this was still on a flat surface but because it was interrupted by the other steps and some of them are angled and some of them go around the corner it felt much more like a three-dimensional form mm. so it felt a little bit actually like when I used to do my weaving on the loom that was flat and then had the wire in it I would form it at, at you know, so I can see heaps of potential, uh, you know, pursuing yeah, that. I think that's really mm. incredible. So how mm. long was that actually up, that work? It's it's not there anymore. How sad. I know. <laughs> why, did, why was it such a short time? I mean, how long was it? It was a short time because the, um, well, there was lots of really good feedback, but the, I mean, like, you know, when you take those commissions, they say it's for a certain period of time and it was for that. And then we discussed keeping it for longer but then here's the kind of um well it's just the logistics of it but the commissioner wasn't willing to take the chance that the vinyl might destroy the steps when they took off if they left it there longer no one was willing to cover that risk and um you know that was really yeah, yeah which i think is very short-sighted yes and that seems odd because it's concrete which is pretty durable. i know quite durable i know i know yeah it's oh. but uh, but it was for a certain length of time that you know that's what they called for two months and i said i wouldn't do it for any less than that because mm. just that, to me that's just like ugh, crazy mm. um but uh yeah but it lives on in those little prints yeah which is lovely yeah and that um is that space going to be used now for are they going to sort of keep those commissions coming on the steps? I think so I think so I mean it's it's um it's done through heart of the cities which is mm. the central Auckland business association I suppose I, I, so it's mm. so they commissioned the work well when I did it was commissioned through them 
in con- in conjunction with Art Week. Yeah. Mm. And it would be interesting to see what other artists make of that space. Yeah. 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 Very cool. And um, there's also Look See, which is gorgeous in Basque Park, which is also oh, Tamaki Makaro, digital print installation, which is, I guess, similar to Urban Mesh. Yes. Similar idea. Yes. Yeah, so much of that. that. Yeah, so that one's got lots of buttercups in it, and it's got also references to the landscaping in Basque Park, uh, because I really enjoyed how it had been um, built, I guess. And so uh, I went again and the same thing, photographed all of the different um, areas, and photographed, it was about... Um, Again, observing the small details, and th- and because it had been locked down then, this was at the end of last year. Um, all the weeds were growing, you know, because no one was mowing the lawns and everything, and so it ha- already had this kind of feeling of um, nature taking over. And yeah, I, and I used references to the landscape um, designer who had done quite a, quite a significant design there, um, and merged them together to kind of try to make something that was quite seamless from the ground kind of up the hoardings so that it didn't, you know, there was not so much of an interruption mm. into the um, into the park. Mm. And there's mm. those massive um, boulders yes. in the park. Yes. Which I presume is somebody else has done that. Yeah, and which is quite a lovely um, combination, I guess. Mm. Mm. I, I mean, it works really well with the work that you've, yeah. you've added. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. same again, will that go somewhere else? Once that's the one that's finished? going somewhere else near oh, to the is. railway tracks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So good. Gosh, your your work is so super interesting. And, and that idea of the weaving going all the way through and then that sort of, it's almost like a modern idea of collage, isn't it? I sometimes talk about my work as bricolage, which is that process of, you know, just kind of grabbing what's there and putting it together. Um, because it feels a bit like that. It feels a bit like I'll grab a bit of that, I'll grab a bit of that, and I, you know, I kind of, and working from a big library of things, uh, and so yeah, that that seems to suit what I do. And then quite often, um, then I think of it as a regenerative process. So one, so photographs of one work or a bit of one work might then regenerate to become another bit of the next work, and mm. so it just becomes a rolling thing rather than a stop and start. Yeah, which is lovely. Yeah. And then I know you've used sound in some of your installations. I did. I made a sound work called Eddie with um, a filmmaker, Eldon Booth, and we showed that in Dunedin at um, Blue Oyster and up here at Art Space and Tamiku Makara Art Space. And that basically we want, both wanted to learn about how to how to create a surround sound work. And so we taught ourselves how to do that and it was kind of we wove in space with sound, which was fun. Mm, yeah. And yeah. that makes sense to your practice too. It totally does, yeah. 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 It's just, I mean, I guess it's the practice and your ideas of of weaving that just, as you said earlier, bring in all these different elements that just are just part of the big idea, <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I suppose I'm a keen observer. I think most artists are. So noticing little things, you know, noticing how the light falls through the leaves or noticing, you know, things in the neighbourhood and they become obvious um, tools or images or references to talk about how we perceive the world or or, or to talk about issues that are important um, mm. to each of us, yeah. Mm. And then you had you, you had 28 years um, working with emerging artists through your senior mm. lecturing I roles, did. which is outstanding, and I'm sure you've made a huge impact on uh, 
Art Education in New Zealand. Oh, thank you. And then in 2015, you um, left that institutional educational space and um, developed Crow Creative Art Services. Can you I tell did. us about that? I did, yeah. Uh, well, so I was doing quite a lot of uh, postgraduate supervision for other institutions. I was doing my teaching and I must admit, and every year there seemed to be, you know, we had national government and uh, government then, every year there seemed to be cuts to the budget. So and every year it was like do more with less. And and the teaching was always great and I still really love teaching. But the the politics behind it and the kind of cuts in education didn't sit very well with me um you know and so I decided I love doing all this stuff with these emerging artists so I'm going to leave that and I'm going to just do that except do it on my own terms and in my own business and so it means that I'm not working in in set you know like giving people qualifications anymore but I'm working as a mentor for artists who are not necessarily um just emerging like I've worked with quite a few artists who just want a little bit of a sounding board or want to have um someone critique their work they might have you know feeling a bit in a rut or something like that um and so it because I really like that working with people and the, the shared ideas you get and that kind of the excitement that you get from helping someone else uh develop their practice um I mean I've I've started to develop courses where it's about how artists can utilize research as part of their practice in a really practical way so I've invented a new word it's pracademic so it's not academic for the sake of it but it's it's academic in the sense that you can use it practically. So I used to work with lots of um, people in tertiary and they'd have to do readings and essays and all that, but they, the really um, effective way of doing that and having it help your practice was then to apply what you learned from that into the practice because we're visual practitioners, we're not theorists. Mm. And so that so I've been developing some courses um that are related to that idea of bridging between research and practice. They're, and they're called bridge, funnily enough. Um, another scaffolding kind of big architectural thing. Yes. Uh, yeah, because I think that that's a really useful and uh, creative and juicy area for people to explore. You're thinking about, so what is the context of that and why do I do it and what does that relate to and how might someone read that? Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's very rewarding. Mm. And I guess because I've been doing this stuff for a while, then uh, someone will talk to me and I'll say, oh, have you, do you, have, have you ever looked at this artist or have you read this, have you read that? And so it's fun being, because mm. part of being a researcher, which lots of artists are, I think, is a bit, it's a bit like being a detective. You know, like, oh, I want to find this out, I want to find that. And then, you know, and then the, the joy of the search um, gets really exciting, but then it's how you utilize what you find in the search, I mm. think, that's like the gold. How incredible. I mean, that's amazing that you're using the things that you learn from that sort of lecturer role and then taken all the best bits and yeah. created your own <laughs> business. And so do you actually work with artists on things like talking about their work or writing about their work? I do. I do. So I do workshops um, or classes um, through my own business. And then I do mentoring, like I you know, sell mentoring packages. And so and we work on whatever the artist wants to work on. So as you know, artists at the moment, you know, so we need to be able to make the work, talk about it, market it, write about it you know, and everything else. So no longer can you just kind of make your work. Um, and so often someone might feel that they, you know, want to be able to 
prepare more for an artist talk or they want to do something related to their marketing or they might want um, a critique of their work so and, and some kind of practical advice so I it's a whole gambit really and the thing about when I'm working with people in a mentoring situation is we devise the course for them at the beginning we say I say what are your goals and how can we do so let's do one session on this let's do one on that and you know all of that it kind of we weave it together dare I say um because it's it's bespoke for their needs. Mm. So you might have someone who's been, you know, working for a long time and they're really great technically, but I've had I've worked with a few people who are really great technically, but they want to get more depth in their practice. They want to understand the context of it more. So they might not have had a research practice before. So we start to talk about how you can develop that and the relationships between those two things. Mm, and, you know, and, and artist statements is always a typical one that people want to talk about. Because um, I was used to get, well, I was used to take the mickey out of the other lectures at other institutions when you would see an artist statement and it would start off with, you know, some reference to a French philosopher. And I was just like, oh, look, we just, you know, it's the what, like, let's look at the practical work. It's, it's a visual course. Yes. It's important to be able to articulate and contextualize where things relate and how they relate to art history and all of those kind of things and what else is going on in culture and the world. But, you know, I think over theorizing, you know, mm, can overthinking be. Overthinking and, yeah, yeah, can be yeah. painful. Can be a bit paralyzing. Mm, yeah. And what are you looking for with the people that you work with, with the artists? Do they need to have an established practice or. Um, do they need to have studied somewhere or what kind of no I mean I work with here's the funny thing I work with my youngest artist I work with is 11 years old and I and I've been working with her since she was nine I never thought I'd ever be working with children Um, but um, you know they were looking for someone to mention she's actually pretty cool she's um, brilliant at chess at maths and at art amazing Uh, yeah 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 so um, you know she's a very cool kid and um so, so I've been working with her. I've been giving her art lessons more than mentoring, but it's in a kind of mentoring capacity. Um, but usually I work with people who, from all sorts of different areas, because, you know, these days artists don't, don't always go through um, the, you know, like leave school, go to tertiary, do this, do your, post, mm. do your undergrad, do your postgrad, do that. You know, there's lots of other ways that people come to art. Yeah. And so I think, you know, there's someone who's maybe got life experience of, and they might have been exhibiting for 10 years, but they want some other aspect. Or, or there might be someone who's, you know, two or three years out of, you know, a, a master's and they just want to be able to understand how to exist in the art world. Mm. Incredible. What a great thing to offer. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's really enjoyable work. It's really rewarding work. And it's a lovely combination with your art practice and, and that kind of work that keeps you working with people, which you yeah. love. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I was just in my studio, I want to be worrying about the tiny details. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. And so we'll put a link on that on your blog post. Oh, so thank you. that um, people can find you through that. And then you've also just recently created an amazing new studio, shared studio workspace in K Road. Can you tell us all about that? Well, that's it's a silver lining to having had to move out of my studio that I was in for 15 years. So earlier on in the year, Auckland Council, I was in the Studio One Toy Two next door to that um, a, a building. We call I called it Studio One B. 
It was actually called the Sergeant's Flat, but I find that too patriarchal to call it that. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Politics is always running through stuff. And um, so, yeah, we, so they're doing seismic strengthening and the whole complex there. So we had to move out for at least nine months. It will probably take longer, I'd imagine. And so my friend Deborah Body and I were commonly known as the Debras. Um, we're going to start a band if this art stuff doesn't work. And, good um, name for band. Yeah, I know, it's a good name. <laughs> yeah, pity we can't sing, but who knows. Um <laughs> But so we'd been looking at, you know, kind of small replacement spaces for us. And and I wanted to stay in the local area because walking and cycling is a really important part of how I like to live and how I like to kind of be able to go to my studio and then pop away and then go back and, you know, kind of being in the local area. And so we'd looked at all these funny little spaces and we'd been calling up all these real estate agents. And uh, and I called this one up about this small space, Union Street maybe it was. And he said, no, no, but I've got this other space. I was like, okay. And, I, and he said, it's 126 square meters. I was like, what? Don't, no, I don't think we're not going to be able to do that. And it's on Karang Happy Road. I was like, oh, I don't think. Anyway, so we went to look at it. And very, very long story short, then we're going to go for this other space. And then he came back to us and said, oh, look, we'd really like you to do it. And I was like, no, well, I don't think we can. And then we managed to negotiate something, which is really cool. Yeah. And so what we did was, and it was like a um, like kind of 1990s fit out. It had been a sort of a bank kind of, not an actual bank, but a, a company that was a bit like a bank. And so it was full of terrible curved um, counters and things like that. So we've done quite a big, it's not really a refit because it's only for this next year or, or maybe for longer, um, of making it into a really workable studio space. So my studio mate, Deborah Body and I both have our individual spaces. Then we have these other spaces we call one the lab because um, it's, you know, I was working in the lab late one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a kind of our mucking around in experimental space. And then we call the other space the bank because it used to have the banking, like those little bits of furniture where you go up and you take your deposit slip out and you, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing. But they took that furniture away. And that's also where I'll deliver workshops and we'll invite other artists to, they might want to come and use it to, to do something or people might even want to come and have a meeting. I mean, we've, this has kind of evolved in the last six weeks because we hadn't really planned to do that. We'd planned to make it work and we thought, yeah, we can make it work and we can use these spaces for all these different things. But as soon as we sung, hung all of our work on it, it, like it feels really great. It feels like a really nice space. And, you know, we were talking about, oh, people might want to have meeting, you know, like, and mm. further along the road, there was a shared space um, that I'd looked at, which was kind of like my plan Z, if I didn't find anything else, because, it, you know, like, there's no art on the walls, and it's, I mean, it's cool and groovy looking, but just didn't seem to have, you know, and so it's a bit, so we've kind of created a, a, a little gallery space at the front, so we've blocked off the window. Um, yeah, so we're looking at all sorts of possibilities, how, mm. how we can have that space work for, other people in the community, in the local community around there. And one of the projects, we had our opening last month, and then the next project we're doing is opening on the 1st of December. So we thought, well, it's around about Christmas. Let's invite some colleagues and friends to show with us now that we've got this big space. So we sent out all these invitations to people, and we thought, oh, maybe half of them will say yes. But all, apart from two who just couldn't do it, said yes. So we've got 40 artists, and they're all showing small works. And, I mean, the other thing is it's December. People are thinking about buying presents. And art, this is a period of time often for artists when things are a bit stretched, you know, because December and January 
lots of Aotearoa just kind of shuts Closes down and down, there's you know yeah. there's not so much stuff happening mm. so we're doing that it's called pick and mix and so we've got I don't know maybe 150 maybe 180 works to hang and that'll be fun so and good. yeah and it's just, it's more like a it's just a kind of celebration mm. um, and coming together yeah and so is that going to be can you see that as being a potential sort of showing space for artists to hire out for shows well we, yes but we hadn't really ever thought of it as that because so the re, what we're doing with pick and mix is we're saying like come and hang out with us and come and you know come and be in the space for the couple of days it's only on for three days and we're deliberately not clipping the ticket as part of it because it's more of I've, I use this hashtag artist supporting artists uh, all the time because I think that's what we do I mean there's got to be more to the world than artists buying each other's work mm. uh, or artists doing swaps but I think that the art community is really supportive of each other mm. and so it's kind of based the kaupapa for it is based on that but we won't be able to sustain that in a business you know in terms of a business model so we'll do it this time and then there might be somebody might but somebody might want to come and use the lab for an afternoon yeah and we you know we can Mm. work with things like that Mm. because lots of artists maybe have smaller spaces and they might want to try some larger work or they might want to put some larger work up somewhere you know if they Mm. if they're living in a city but if they don't live in a big house then you know just being able to utilize the spaces i mean it's interesting as we sat and kind of brainstormed it just very recently you know two weeks ago probably and we're thinking well who would you know because we're just sitting having a lunch we're going oh this is pretty cool just sit because it's not in our individual spaces in this kind of common space and um yeah so just Mm. uh, you know like some instead of hiring a meeting room at the 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 place on the corner that's colder then because people love coming into artist studios they like they love that kind of um it's partly because it's like treasure like you might find treasure i think Mm. um but also that like being surrounded by art. It's kind of, it's a bit like you could imagine having a meeting in an art gallery as opposed to having a meeting in a meeting room, you know. It's yeah. a no-brainer, really. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And it's an inspirational space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. how cool. I love that Yeah, idea. it's working out really well. It's and quite are exciting. You, are you thinking about having kind of a, a bit of a calendar of different shows that you kind of curate and also put your own work in? Yeah, I mean, we've got our own work in the little in the window space that we've made, which is kind of like a tiny street because it's on the ground floor, so it's on the street, which is great. Mm. Um, I mean, with the, with pick and mix, it's deliberately not curated. You know, I've done curation projects before, and I'm quite particular about selecting specific works, even like existing works uh, and that kind of thing. So it's not curated; it's just inv- by invitation. But we could, yeah, we're thinking about perhaps developing some some regular things. The great thing about Karang Happy Road is that they have the first Thursdays um, kind of street festival thing that happens every month. And so we jumped on that when we did our opening, which was on the third. And so the second one we've timed for the first thir- first the first first Thursday in December. There's another one on the 15th, but I don't think we will be like too tired by then <laughs> to do anything. We might just be having a glass of wine and have the door open. You know, that, that, that would be okay. People come in then too. Yeah. You put the sign at Artist Studio open then because yeah. people are curious and that's that kind of relates back to that thing about making art accessible, I think, mm. that um, people are really curious because they, you know, like everybody's done a wee bit of drawing and, you know, and it's just about, relating that to what somebody might see and I've had like the most amazing conversations when I've when I've had open studios at my previous place from people who just come off the street and they go oh 
like, oh, that reminds me of this place or that, re-. and it's it's great. Yeah, it's good to get that and get feedback. people engaging yeah. in art. Yeah, and having that right on the on the street is brilliant. It's four four five, Karanga Happy Road, and so that opening is first um, of December. Yeah. 5.30 till 8.30. I'm going to definitely try to make oh, it this yes, time. Oh, yes, do. Come. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I like that idea of, of creating a space that is like it's an art gallery, but it is a place that probably more people would feel comfortable about coming into. Mm. I had my first artist group in there yesterday, and I said to them, well, give me some feedback on the, you know, cause I was, as you know, in education, you always want to get feedback. I said, well, what, you know, and they were saying, oh, God, we like this so much better than the other place we used to go. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, yeah, because it feels warm and, you know, it, I mean, it's not ho- homely at all. It's not, it's a building built in 1987, and it's an ex, it's an ex office building. So it's, you know, and it's not a pretty heritage thing or anything. But um, yeah, they, they really responded to it. And I think, that whole thing of yeah, just having regular things where people can come in and mm. and talk about art and and I don't know, just have fun. Yeah, totally. And how does it compare to the uh, the traditional white cube gallery? Well, model. That's so what we did was we used because we've got a, in commercial terms, it's a relatively short lease, only for now, uh, for a year. Um, so we decided we uh, were asked them if we could use some of their furniture that they left behind and put temporary walls on the back, like use big cupboards and that, put temporary walls in the back of it, build our movable wall in the window. And so we did paint it white, um, but it's not a cube. Uh, and it's more, um, I guess, because we've got the lab there as well, which is we you know, made some kind of messy stuff on the floor. It feels a little bit more like halfway between maybe a gallery and a studio mm. in our common spaces. And yeah. then in our studio spaces, it's just like, you know, studio, um, artist studio mm. with all sorts of the stuff that you have. And the other thing that we might do as well as I've had a couple of people approach me that do art tours, you know, in the local area and they like to. And, and you, you know, we'll go on the circuit with art tours. And, mm. and even one of my neighbors actually um, came to the opening and said, I'm a member of an art group. I'd love to, you know, bring my art group. Could we do that? And so there's a, like, yeah, there's it's, a lot all, of it's kind of um, the, the, I don't know if there were barriers, but, you know, like ways in which people are getting together and talking about art in groups to be able to facilitate that to come in. And, you know, like, I mean, I recently over the last three years have done a little bit of mentoring at a high school and um, it's a, it would be a brilliant place for some of the really keen mm. high school students just to come for a visit, Yeah, um, you know, and just kind of to see that you can make a living well to see that you can have a sustained career in visual arts i think it's really Mm, important it's really important and i feel like there's a lot of untapped potential in that area you know really working with schools and art students um, and university art students to expose them to lots of different things in the community yeah and yeah. It, but, but it's also about seeing the realities of it too yeah. to yeah. see that well no I have to do like I'm doing that to balance with this and mm. like all of like the how the jigsaw fits together mm. and hearing the stories yeah yeah which yeah. is why this podcast is good and I just <laughs> wish that younger people would listen to it because I feel like it you know hearing artists stories and how they started and how they gained momentum and all those things yeah. is just such a good interesting um you know view into an artist's life for for people starting off in their career you know yeah I, and I think it's also about like because of I've done some governance stuff before and I, and I was and like say for instance with artists alliance which doesn't exist anymore but was kind of a bit like in a very simple way advocates you know they were advocates for um artists but like there's a new um, organization art makers Aotearoa 
that does that now. But it's about artists being recognised as professionals. So that whole thing of that that there is an industry, that there is a, an infrastructure, uh, and that it, you know you need to be professional and all the things that you need to do to be professional. But you also still need to have like you know need to be making your work. But the balance of all of that. And I don't know. I mean, I think when I left tertiary, we were covering, we were doing that kind of stuff. But I mean, I I do workshops, say for instance, on proposal writing. We used to deliver that because we had a professional practice paper in part of the degree that I taught in. But I don't know how much that happens, and mm. you know, just that whole. It's like a survival kit, really, yeah. which is something yeah. that artists really need. Yeah, you know, yeah. applying for funding and yeah, you know, absolutely, all of, all of that yeah. stuff. It's, it's yeah. just so important, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's it's part of the infrastructure that's there for you to be able to tap into. Mm. So why not learn how to do it well? Mm. And it's, it opens up a whole new world, really, when you start going down that funding road. Yep. You know, I agree. For artists. Well, I feel like we could just talk for a hundred more <laughs> yeah, years. Oh well, we might have. <laughs> but um, I think we might just get to our final questions. Oh, yes, I've got my prepared list. Yes. Well done. I am sad to be bringing our conversation to an end because you're such an interesting person, oh, Deborah. thank you. It's been nice chatting. Can you tell us who your favourite New Zealand artists are and why? Okay, so it was good to have that question in advance. So I have prepared a list, of course, um, and I thought about it a lot. And it's maybe quite a long list, and lo and behold, they're mostly women. So on my list are Judy Dara, Lisa Rehana, Maureen Lander, Carol Shepard, Shelley Simpson, Renee Bevan, Emma Tavola, and Leilani Kaki. And I made that list specifically, having thought about it, because I started to think about what I admire in other artists, and that, and so I thought about it quite, you know, carefully. And I guess the thing that ties all of those makers together, I think, is that it's not that they only push um, materials; it's that sometimes they push against systems, and it's that whole thing of being a little bit of a disruptor. It's that they think smartly, but they also think slightly playfully sometimes and the other thing is that all of those those people have done things where they have supported other artists and other artists growth and so this is perhaps like my particular thing that I think is a great thing to be able to do as an artist to be able to um, support other people mm. and so they might have they might have done some formal teaching you know, like some of those people on that list Lisa and Judy then I used to lecture with them in the same school and it was great to have them there um, or they might have started an artist run space or they might have um, been on boards or things like that so, so basically they're doing things that involve a collaborative approach and um, an approach that's about sharing and, and kind of weaving successes together and, and I think that that's quite important and then the other thing that's not undeliberate either is that everybody in that list I believe has got a certain handle on knowing about politics, knowing, and we didn't really talk so much about politics, but I talked at the beginning about my father taught me about politics. But, you know, like all of those women um, makers there, I think that they, they've they done amazing things to push against some of the, the patriarchal um, aspects of the art world. They've done great things to support each other. 
And I mean, I think actually that's probably what women do. Um, and when I think about how they influence me, I, I don't know if it's like as a direct world that person works like that and that makes me think of this. It's it has me think that I'm part of an a, of a great community with some amazing role models, and I think that's a really it feels secure, which maybe sounds a bit funny to to you know to think, but is that maybe that's containing my body again? Mm. Um, and then the other thing that I put down um, in terms of my uh, other favorite artist. Uh, Aotearoa-based artists, um, and they're no longer with us, these two people, and that's Paul Cullen and Julian Dashford. And um, both of them made, like, really, really considered work. But the other thing I think that I really enjoyed about them, I knew them both personally, was they both had amazing senses of humour. So it, so I'm maybe talking about less about how the art practice, but more about how attitudinally and what they said in their work, um, you know, makes them my favourites. Mm. Well, that was a very damn good answer. Thank (laughs) you, Deborah. It's a long answer. (laughs) That's brilliant. And uh, what challenges do you face as an artist? Uh, My biggest challenge. Um, So my biggest challenge is taking breaks. I can't stop doing it. Um, And the other challenge, I guess, is the relationship between what I'm making and what's going to happen to it after I'm no longer on this earth. Um, so that, you know, that for a little while when I was, when I was doing my fashion label and we were making, uh, pieces that were about, you know, being, being more respectful to the environment and, and it was totally anti fast fashion and all of those kind of things. And I almost, like I almost stopped making things. I went to, um, a talk by a woman called Bea Johnston, who's got the minimum zero waste household book anyway. And I used to keep saying to my business partner, Kim uh, Fraser, oh, why are we even doing this? We're just making more stuff. And then she was she's very sensible, she's much more sensible than me. She said, well, yeah, but we're making things that could become heirlooms and all of that. So there's there's that challenge. Um, but the thing about taking breaks, and that's why I do my other, I do my Crow Creative Art Services, but it's also why I got a dog when I left, uh, got another dog when I left um, tertiary because I knew that if I had a dog, I'd have a dependent and I wanted to have a dependent. So... <laughs> lots of people don't want to have dependents. I wanted to have a dependent, so I just didn't get too caught up in my own drama, in my own world. It's not all about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Love it. And um, what would you say to your younger artists? Oh, I wrote that one down too. Um, I would say recognize your value and your ability to contribute, which has me think of another story, and it's when I was a a year ago, maybe like – Late late eighties, not long after I came to Aotearoa, I got the form to fill in to become a New Zealand citizen. And one of the questions said, "What will you contribute to New Zealand?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't know. I'm stuck." Uh, whereas now I could fill it in no problem. It's not on the form anymore. Um, and so I think because then I was just like, not long out of doing my postgrad, I and I was like, oh, I don't know what I can contribute. Um, but I think yeah, to a young to a younger artistic self, I'd say, well, just pay attention because you can contribute lots and that's what I would say that's what I say when I'm doing my mentoring work as well then think about what you've got to offer because not everybody thinks as creatively as we do Mm. we Mm. forget I think we just think oh everyone's like that yeah and then you go into some environment one day and everybody's not like that and you think whoa yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's quite it does it's quite shocking sometimes yeah yeah Yeah. and uh, last question why do you make the kind of work you make uh-huh. I make it because I'm stimulated by my environment and I like to ask questions about the world. But also if I don't make it, I get itchy hands. And so there's that whole sense of like it's rewarding from a creative perspective. 
But the other thing is that um, I believe that visual communication is a really important part of our social, environmental, and political environment. And I mean, that sounds a bit preachy, but it's what I have at the bottom of my letterhead, um, because I do think it's important. I think the impact that visual communication and, and visual art in particular has on our world, is it, it, it can make loads of difference. And, you know, the opposite of that is imagine a world without any art. Mm, that would be sad. Mm, be very sad. Yeah. Well, thank you, Deborah. Um, you know, just talking to you really makes me feel so motivated to kind of continue the little, you know, the, the bit of work that I'm doing towards... <laughs> Cool community, and uh, also, you know, you're so right in saying that women, in particular, who come together, are quite a sort of formidable force. Absolutely, and I feel like there's so many people who think like we do, who mm. you know, together can make such a difference, men and women. Yeah, and it's it's something that you know we all need to kind of strive for and come together more and more and have more opportunities to build that community somehow i agree it's what happens in the middle it's like the, there's this person this person it's the thing that happens in the middle yeah or between the people that is amazing absolutely yeah, yeah. and it's exciting cool yeah. yeah so thank you very very much oh, for very coming all fun. the way out oh it's lovely and uh yeah i'm glad that you're in the hot seat facing the garden i think yeah. we're going to have to put all our guests into that corner <laughs> and uh yeah thank you so very much for being on the show you're welcome Deborah. thank you for asking